The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Cracking the Code in COPD, Understanding the Role of Type 2 Inflammation and Potential Clinical Implications of Targeted Treatment. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash NZZ860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. Hi, this is Fernando J. Martinez from Weill Cornell Medicine in New York City. Thanks for participating in this educational activity titled Cracking the Code in COPD, Understanding the Role of Type 2 Inflammation and Potential Clinical Implications of Targeted Treatment. This CME activity begins with an interactive game to assess and improve your knowledge about the relationship between type 2 inflammation and COPD. After that, I'll review the role of type 2 inflammation and what that can play in some patients with COPD, as well as sort of known and emerging type 2 biomarkers in COPD, shortcomings of our inhaled therapy in COPD, and then finally, sort of the potential clinical implications of targeted therapies in our patients with COPD. So overall, the goals are going to be to describe the potential role of type 2 inflammation in COPD based on the most recent insights and clinical evidence. And we're going to explain to peers the clinical implications of targeted therapies for patients with COPD based on very recent clinical data. First, I want to sort of test your knowledge on this role of type 2 inflammation in COPD and the potential clinical implications of targeted treatment. There is a strong rationale for this, as the WHO estimates that by 2060 or so, there'll be more than 5.5 million deaths per year that can be attributed to COPD and related coexisting conditions. Exacerbations of COPD, really, regardless of their severity, have been associated with poor quality of life, hospitalizations, increased risk of death. And importantly, despite our currently available management strategies, there remains a very high disease burden for many patients. And really, although COPD has been long recognized to be actively resulting from an amplified innate immune response, you're starting to see a growing recognition that for a good chunk of patients, there is this type 2 inflammatory pattern. And as such, there has been a specific need for therapies that target this type 2 inflammatory pattern in this proportion of patients with COPD. So given that information, I want to begin this game portion of the activity so you can assess your own COPD knowledge base. You're going to be presented with questions or scenarios, and you'll be asked questions that will allow you to earn up to 1,400 points. You will see points racking up among your colleagues as you proceed through the game. So Give it the best you got, then let's join our competitive juices here. Here's your first question. Slide that marker to the correct percentage for the following question. Evidence of type 2 inflammation is present in up to what percentage of patients with COPD? This actually comes from multiple studies, but including a paper that many of us were involved in writing recently that suggests that depending on how you look at the patient population, this sort of type 2 inflammatory pattern may be present in up to 20 to 40% of patients with COPD and associates with an increased risk of exacerbation. That percentage sort of depends on the patient population. All right, second question. Patients with COPD who had this type 2 inflammatory pattern may have a better response to which of the following? One best choice. Is it an inhaled long-acting beta agonist or LABA? Inhaled long-acting antimuscarinic on LAMA? The combination of a LABA and a LAMA? An inhaled corticosteroid? or azithromycin. This is a well-known fact now that in patients with COPD who have this type 2 inflammatory pattern, as suggested by circulating eosinophils, seem to have a better response to inhaled corticosteroids than patients who don't have that. And that comes from a series of published studies. So it's really the inhaled corticosteroids that is the correct response. 
All right, they're getting harder now. Increased levels of which of the following may be associated with increased eosinophil counts in sputum, bronchial tissue, blood, or elevated levels of pheno? You have three choices, IL-33, 25, and 23, IL-25, 17, and 6, IL-5, IL-4, IL-13, or IgE, IL-17, and IL-23. One of those is correct. Pop it into that empty spot. This figure comes from this paper that Klaus and a group of us published in the last few months, which tries to address this type 2 inflammatory pattern in COPD. This simplified graphic there shows that little box where the IL-5, IL-4, and IL-13 had been particularly implicated in this type 2 inflammatory picture. So those would be the correct response to that particular question. All right, increasingly more challenging. Which of the following represent potential or emerging biomarkers that may help identify subgroups within this heterogeneous COPD population that may aid to guide treatment. Select all that apply. That means there's more than one correct answer. Is it the fractional exhaled nitric oxide, pheno, eosinophils, circulating, C-reactive protein, EGFR, or periostin? Again, more than one right answer. And in fact, there were three correct answers in that last slide. This is also from this review that we published recently. Blood circulating eosinophil count is by far the best. That's already established. That's an acknowledged part of the therapeutic paradigms. I think the ones that you're starting to see evolve, they're not quite ready for prime time yet, include pheno and periostin. So those top three would be correct choices. And then IgE. The others in the prior question are not associated with this type of inflammatory pattern. All right, here's your score and where you rank so far. We're going to now get you to a little bit of a scenario. This is a patient with COPD who's on an inhaled lama lava fuel therapy, good for you, who's continuing to experience symptoms, has recently had an outpatient exacerbation, and you've now documented that there's an increased eosinophil count that is 300 cells. So what would you do at this point? Would you add reflumolest, add a macrolide, add an inhaled corticosteroid, now use biologic therapy, or increase the dose of a lama lava? And as I pointed out to you earlier, the strongest data right now exist for inhaled corticosteroids in individuals at risk of exacerbations, as defined by having had a recent exacerbation in this particular patient scenario, and an eosinophil count of at least 300. And you can see this is the gold scientific strategy in what we published most recently. And it's that right-hand panel for patients at exacerbations. You see the bronchodilators on top, and then you see eosinophil counts that are elevated. The next correct response would be adding an inhaled corticosteroid to the inhaled bronchodilator therapy. And getting even more challenging for you is the following. So this is one of these drag and drop. So the biological agents, the particular targets, so link them, boop, 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 plop them around. And in fact, itapecumab targets IL-33. Dupilumab targets IL-4 and IL-13 by their joint receptor. Dizapelumab targets TSLP. And Benra targets IL receptor alpha. All right, last question. This will have required you to read the literature recently. The results from the phase three Boreas study showed that add-on treatment with which one of the agents in the left-hand series of boxes led to a you see the various percentages reduction in the annualized rate of moderate or severe exacerbations compared to placebo in patients with COPD. And in fact, the Boreas study tested dupilumab and demonstrated that dupilumab decreased the rate of moderate to severe exacerbations by 30% compared to placebo in patients with COPD. Congrats on completing the game. Here's your score and rank. If you want to learn more, 
Stay tuned for my presentation on the role of type 2 inflammation and potential clinical implications of targeted agents in COPD, which will begin shortly. All right, let's try to get a better sense of this type 2 inflammatory pattern, its potential role in COPD. As many of you know, COPD is associated with a series of features to reduce lung function, increased risk of exacerbations. Those are characterized by the classic symptoms. Exacerbations in COPD have been associated with pretty much every bad thing that you can imagine in COPD. That includes increased risk of subsequent events, hospitalizations, healthcare utilization, lung function decline, death, worsening quality of life, and pretty much everything bad in the COPD can be linked in some way to exacerbations. So you need to really understand the exacerbation component to have a really good sense of how to optimize the therapeutic paradigms for your patients. The pathophysiology of COPD and our understanding has really evolved rapidly. We understand that it's a complex syndrome, COPD, that's characterized by an increased number of a broad range of inflammatory cells, including macrophages, that can be seen in the airways, in the parenchyma, in the vasculature. There are neutrophils that are present and activated. There are lymphocytes. And these inflammatory cells, together with epithelial cells and a whole series of structural cells, maintain this inflammatory milieu. There is an attraction for additional inflammatory cells from the circulation. This amplifies this inflammatory process. And all of us think that this is closely related to the structural changes that we see either in the airway, in the parenchyma, and in the vasculature. Traditionally, the inflammatory pattern was really more of an innate inflammatory picture, strongly macrophage, neutrophilic in nature. And that is certainly by far the most common type of inflammation that we see in COPD. But you're starting to see a lot of data suggesting that at least in a proportion of patients, there's an inflammatory pattern that includes eosinophils to some extent sort of similar, not the same as you see in asthma. There are statements that this is sort of varied over time, that anywhere between 20 or 40% of patients have this sort of type 2 inflammatory picture that is associated with an increased risk of exacerbations. That percentage in part depends on the patient population, their exacerbation history, some comorbid conditions that may be present. But, you know, it's a significant chunk of patients. And it is now becoming accepted that patients that have this type 2 inflammatory pattern, particularly those where that pattern is associated with circulating eosinophils, clearly seem to have a better response to inhaled corticosteroids than patients who don't have that response. There are a series of cytokines, immune cells that are seen in this broadly type 2 inflammatory picture. That includes IL-5, 4, 13, type 2 innate lymphoid cells, TH2 cells. And there actually have been a whole series of these graphics of the inflammatory pattern. I show you only this one because I've been involved in publishing this paper. And it is really focused on the type 2 inflammatory pattern, starting very upstream with the alarmins that includes IL-33, TSLP to sort of trigger this escalating pattern that involves particularly IL-5, 4, and 13 with this amplification of this pattern. And part of the reason that I like this particular diagram is that it's a little bit focused on this very complex overall inflammatory picture, but it also highlights where a whole series of very targeted biologics are being tested in patients with COPD that may express this particular pattern. So I think it's important for us to have a good sense of this pathophysiological picture and where that may have therapeutic implications. So we know that IL-5 is important for eosinophilic maturation, survival. IL-4 and 13 can relate 
to inflammatory cell infiltrates. They increase phenol levels, and they do sort of broadly promote this eosinophilic pattern of inflammation. And the totality of these infiltrates have been associated variably, whether it's in human models, in animal models, it's a strong suggestion that this is associated with airway hyperreactivity. Some of the remodeling changes that we see, goblet cell changes, mucociliary dysfunction, mucus hypersecretion, and then associated with symptoms and lung function decline. And so that, that's why you're seeing such an interest in trying to have a better understanding of this inflammatory pathway, and most importantly, where that'll have therapeutic implications. And so just to give you a sense of the complexity of this, take a peek at this 3D animated video clip that'll sort of give you a sense of the complexity of this inflammatory picture in our patients with COPD. All right, that now raises what is really the key issue. And this is where a lot of the excitement in the COPD field is right now. And that is, can we develop therapies that specifically target this inflammatory picture in this proportion of COPD patients? And do we have biomarkers that can aid us identifying these particular individuals who are most likely to benefit from these targeted therapies? That's where there is just a lot of excitement right now. So, for example, I've mentioned already blood eosinophil counts. This is sort of a traditional marker of this inflammatory picture. That's already accepted as a marker of response to inhaled corticosteroids. The fractional exhaled nitric oxide, the pheno, may be able to identify subgroups more prone to exacerbations. Periostin as well has been examined, IgE as well. Those latter three are a little bit more investigational right now. They're not as accepted in clinical practice as what we see with blood eosinophil counts. So now as we think, all right, can we target particular therapies to patients that have this inflammatory picture? And what do the data look like? The data that are just most widely accepted are the blood eosinophil level. So this is the latest initial pharmacotherapeutic regimens recommended by Gold. And we've presented this, we've modified this over time to highlight several things. On the bottom, MMRC and CAT are questionnaires that assess respiratory burden. Those that have higher scores are patients that have more respiratory burden. You see combinations of bronchodilators as the recommended initial treatment. On the left-hand side, you see a patient's prior history of exacerbation events in the last year, with those that have one or less being considered to have lower risk of exacerbations in the next year, those that have more than two, two or more, moderate or one hospitalization for a COPD exacerbation are considered to be at high risk. So those two features are felt to be clinical characteristics that separate patients into distinct categories for pharmacotherapy. And then you see in that group E for exacerbation prone, that little italicized line that says, consider labalama and ICS if the blood eosinophil count is 300 or higher. So now you've seen a modification of the initial pharmacotherapeutic recommendation to incorporate a biomarker of this type 2 inflammatory pattern for a specific target therapeutic component. So if you ask yourself, Am I already targeting therapy in my COPD patients? If you're flowing the gold algorithms, the answer is yes, you're already doing it with sort of a broad range of an inhaled corticosteroid. In gold, we also provided a series of schema for longitudinal pharmacotherapeutic approaches, targeting two sort of treatable traits. Breathless is on the left, and you see that's very bronchodilator rehab associated. On the right, 
is for exacerbation reduction. And you there see bronchodilation guided in part by this particular biomarker of bloody eosinophil count. And if it's elevated in a person with recurrent exacerbations, there is your inhaled corticosteroid. And then eventually at the very bottom, reflumolase and azithromycin. So you see that the gold therapeutic strategy already advocates for a targeted therapeutic approach based in part on a clinical scenario, ispian exacerbations, and a circulating biomarker of this type two inflammatory approach. So that's already incorporated. That's in the global therapeutic strategies. Now, all of us that have been involved in managing patients with COPD, involved in generating these therapeutic strategies, understand that there remain shortcomings. And that is, even with those algorithms that I've shown you, and even if you do exactly what those recommend, there are still patients who have recurrent exacerbations. And in fact, even patients that have high EO counts and you have them on an inhaled corticosteroid can have repeated exacerbations and that the current additional maintenance therapies aren't really specifically targeting this type of inflammation. Reflumolase, which is a PDE4 inhibitor, we've actually published data that there are implications to eosinophils and reflumolase, but reflumolase is not really felt to be a therapy that was developed targeting this type 2 inflammatory pattern. Despite having a really good sense of inhaled therapy, some of our oral agents, understanding the targeted approach of type 2 inflammation, eosinophils, and steroids in particular, there are just some patients that remain very much impacted by their disease, recurrent exacerbations, and certainly patients that have a lot of comorbidity become even more challenging to manage. As a result of these principles, there has been a tremendous impetus in the field to try to have us replicate what the groups in the asthma world have done. Asthma therapy has been revolutionized by biologics with multiple agents for specific patient populations with comorbidities and so on. For us in the COPD field, we dream of having that approach. And guess what? We're actually much closer now than we've been anywhere in the recent past. So I'm going to show you several therapeutic strategies that are being studied. None of these are approved by the FDA yet, so these are all considered investigational, but they've made a lot of headway. The first is mepolizumab, which targets IL-5. You've seen the implications of IL-5 in terms of eosinophilic survival infiltration and so on. The first two studies, which were on top there, Metrix and Metreo, were actually inconsistent in their response. One was seen positive, the other was not. The studies did not have a particular eosinophil requirement for getting into the study. The matinee study is ongoing and should read out sometime in the near future. This next slide sort of shows you sort of the problem. Metrax and Metreo, you see the risk of exacerbations. You can see how both studies studying the same dose of mepolizumab were just inconsistent. A subsequent analysis by these investigators really suggested that the higher the baseline eosinophil, the more likely you would have seen a response to this drug. That is what Matinee is now doing. It is actually incorporating a very aggressive threshold that clearly suggests a patient population that is having exacerbations despite inhaled therapy with a significantly elevated eosinophil count. We'll find out how that reads out. It should be in the very near future. Benralizumab, which targets IL-5 receptor, has suffered sort of the same challenges. You have two initial studies, Galathea and Terranova. I'll show you those again in a second. But remember that you see in that eosinophil column that those studies did not have an aggressive inclusion criteria. They 
had a stratification based on eosinophil counts. Their subsequent study that's ongoing now, the Resolute study, again has now a much more explicit requirement for a very significant patient population with this type 2 inflammatory pattern. And again, here is what has been the challenge for these two agents up until now. You can see the Galathea study. You can see the Terranova study. If you look at that 100 milligram dose, you can see that one study looked good. The other one did not. Again, the investigators went back and started looking to see what was driving the potential treatment response. And it was having a high eosinophil count, a significant exacerbation history in the last year. And so they've remodified that study. And now the ongoing Resolute study now has a much more explicit requirement for inclusion eosinophil counts to really pick out the patient population that's most likely to benefit. All right, so keep that in mind. So the importance of patient stratification based on, in these studies, a circulating biomarker of this inflammatory pattern, I think has now been recognized as likely being one of the more important components, potentially explaining some of the inconsistent results from the prior MEPA and Benralizumab studies. So that has now led to what has really been exciting and that is the Boreas studies and a sister study, which I'll just read out, give you a little hint in a second. So this was now an international double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial testing dupilumab. Remember, that is testing the IL-4 receptor, which is the IL-413 joint receptor. They required a blood eosinophil count at the time of inclusion. So they had already decided, you know what, we're going to really target this population of patients where we think this kind of biological therapy is most likely to have a benefit. There's a large study, COPD patients who had a history of exacerbation despite being on aggressive inhaled therapy, and they were treated with dupilumab versus a matched placebo. Exacerbation rate was the primary endpoint. There was a 30% reduction in the rate of moderate severe exacerbations. This was a really positive study in this very unique and enriched population of patients. When you looked at lung function, it improved with the Pilomap and remained improved through the course of the year. In fact, even in their quality of life measures, the St. George's Respiratory Questionnaire, the SGRQ score, improved with the Pilomap versus placebo. It was a very, very positive study in this particular patient population with a safety profile that was as expected with this agent that's been used in multiple other studies. And so, you know, this was really an exciting piece of data for all of us in this field. But we also knew, all right, you know, we've seen what's happened with other agents before. This group said, all right, we're going to replicate these findings with this phase three NOTAS study. That was the Borea study I just showed you. This is the NOTAS study. Very similar in design. So COPD patients who were symptomatic, who had to have well-documented history of exacerbations in the last year, thereby at risk for future exacerbations, aggressively treated with inhaled steroids, and needed to have this documented elevated eosinophil count. The company that has been doing this phase three notice study just released a press release suggesting that their interim analysis suggests that a similar 34% reduction in exacerbations and improvement in lung function, and they're going to be submitting this to the FDA in an expeditious fashion. So again, these results are not all published, so we don't know all the data in detail, but it is very encouraging that the results look remarkably similar to their prior study. So keep your fingers crossed. There are multiple other ongoing trials. There's the itepecumab studies. I'm involved running one of them as tegolimab, tezepelumab, 
And in fact, if you look at this table, I mean, look at all of the studies that are ongoing. There are two large phase three studies of it in IL-33. There are phase two studies for ST2, which is one of the signaling passwords of IL-33. There's a TSLP phase two study. You can see that given the impetus that we've now seen with some of these recently published or reported studies, there is a lot of interest in extending our targeted therapies in COPD patients beyond clinical features, exacerbation, history, symptoms, beyond eosinophils and how that relates to inhaled corticosteroid to the potential future where we will be targeting this unmet need for COPD patients, particularly those that have this type 2 inflammatory pattern. We now have a biomarker, eosinophil circulating eosinophils, that seems to be very predictive. And again, although none of these biologic agents are currently approved, I think we're now getting closer and closer to being at a point where we'll really be able to target a therapeutic approaches. And hopefully, for those of us that deal with COPD patients, we'll be simulating what the asthma world has done. So thanks so much for joining me today. This is really an exciting time for our patients and for those of us that, that care for COPD patients, as I think we're going to end up in a new era of therapeutic approaches that are truly sort of endotypic in targeted therapies. Thanks very much. This activity is certified by PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Remember to download the slides and practice aids. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash NZZ860. This activity is supported by an independent medical education grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals and Sanofi.